The following sermon is from the Westminster Pulpit, extending the worship ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are a local congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format. we're looking at Psalm 93. Psalm 93, a very short psalm, and I might even have a short sermon. My dear pastor, director, evangelist, mentor, Dr. Jack Murray, used to quote the extra beatitude. You know what that is? Pastors that are doing the beatitude series. Blessed is he who maketh a short speech, for he shall be invited again. Psalm 93, please. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put on strength as his belt. Yes, the Lord is, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Your throne is established from old. You are from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods have lifted up their roaring, mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. Your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house. O Lord, forevermore. Father, grant your grace unto your servant to preach your word. For Jesus' sake, amen. My first point tonight is very clear from the first verse. The Lord reigns with majestic robe, a majestic robe. I couldn't help but want to wear a black robe tonight. It's an object lesson, I guess. The Bible doesn't say anything about what to wear, but I think from Reformation times, uh, those who wear the black robes wear it with the idea of hiding the man, that the Word of God may be shown through his lips. And for that reason, we wear black robes. A number of years ago, back in 1953, when the King of England died, Queen Elizabeth II had her coronation. And I was reading that the fittings and adjustments for her robe had to take place eight times. And the train of her robe was 18 feet long. That's pretty long. That's about what the height of three men would be if you can picture that in your mind. I think of what Isaiah said in chapter 6, that God showed himself to Isaiah in such a way that Isaiah said, he saw the Lord high and lifted up. 
and the train of his robe filled the temple. It was a terrifying sight to him. I won't major on trying to tell you how great God is and how powerful and how he reigns. I think that's been conveyed so many times from this pulpit and every Bible-believing pulpit. But our, our interest is to see that the Lord has established his throne, and his throne has established the world. Now, you don't know it, but if you look at our black robes hanging in this back room, we call it the robe room, those robes are for all the preachers and pastors here, sometimes guest speakers, and uh, most of us have a Murphy robe. The thing of it is, I've known and seen how this robe has faded in the almost 12 years that I've been here. The vividness of the black has faded away. There's one robe back there, though, at least, that hasn't faded, Dr. Rogers' robe. Dr. Rogers' robe was not made by the Murphy Company. It was made by a company in New York City called Bentley and Simon. And inside the lapel, it says, for religious, academic, and judicial service. I think that's a robe fitting for our senior pastor. And it hasn't faded. It's stayed the same over all the years that he's worn it. I'm so thankful that the Bible tells us that our Lord reigns in majesty, as it were, with a robe on him that is unfading, undefiled, and will never, never pass away. His robe is such that it covers the greatness of God. Now, I can't picture that in my mind, and I don't know if I'll ever understand it completely until I'm with the Lord. But the Lord reigns with a majestic robe. But if you read the Scriptures with me in verse 3, you see also the Lord controls with complete authority. My father served in World War II in the U.S. Navy. Um, He was assigned after basic training at uh, Great Lakes up in Lake Michigan to serve on the USS New Orleans Heavy Cruiser. I kind of Googled that, and I found out a lot of things about that ship that I didn't know, the ship that my dad served on. It was in Pearl Harbor when the attack came back in December of 41. It was not damaged there, and uh, it saw lots of action. It protected escorting ships across the Pacific into the South Pacific. It encountered battles. It was damaged at one point and actually had to come back to have the front repaired because the whole front of the bow, the front of the ship, was blown off. It was made in the Brooklyn Navy Yard in the early 1930s, and it was the length of two football fields almost. Now, if you can put that in your mind, it'd be longer than what this door is all the way, all the way back to the sanctuary, I mean to the gymnasium. Pretty big ship, not as big as a battleship. 
Not as big as an aircraft carrier, but a very, very serviceable ship. My dad served. He was the captain of the guard. He wasn't the captain. He was the captain of the guard, and he carried a forty-five in security on the ship. And my dad could actually arrest the captain if he was in an area that he wasn't authorized to be. I remember sitting on my lap as a little boy, probably four or five or six, and you know how you talk to your dad and say, what was it like, dad? One thing I most remember about it was this. Dad loved when that ship would go across the Pacific Ocean. And if a storm came, that ship would rise up and come down with a thud and a rumble. And it would just do it time after time as that ship penetrated the waves of the sea. He really respected the sea because, you see, we have to do the same. The seas are an image of power, and sometimes it seems uncontrollable, but not when it comes to God because he controls everything with complete authority. For instance, in Genesis 6, when every intention of men's hearts were only evil continually, God controlled the flood and protected Noah. Or in Jonah chapter 1, when a prophet disobeyed the Lord and his calling, God controlled the tempest to bring ultimately a revival and repentance to the city of Nineveh. And who can forget the Gospels where we're told several times when our exhausted Savior fell asleep in the fishing boat. He rebuked a fierce storm with a controlling word, peace be still. And dare I also include Acts chapter 27, when a captain disregarded the Apostle Paul's advice not to sail in the Mediterranean Sea in the wintertime, God controlled that storm in such a way that 276 souls survived, and I love how the Scripture puts it, and not a hair perished from the head of anyone. Not a hair. God controlled. We only emphasize this because it just tells us in Scripture in verses 3 and 4. Yes, there's the floods. Mightier is the Lord. Yes, there is the wind and the wave. Mightier is the Lord. The Lord on high is mighty. So that when Isaiah sees a vision of the Lord in his great majestic robe and bows down in holiness, or when we face a struggle in life, there's so many. As a pastor, I've been by the bedside of those who struggled with illness or a loved one with a debilitating degenerative disease. I know God's there. He's present. But ultimately, it will be showing His hand to be mightier when we are in His very presence. Mightier is the Lord. But I particularly want to emphasize the last verse in our text 
where the Bible says, Your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. Psalm 132, which is a compendium verse, says, Let your priests be clothed in righteousness. It's the prayer of God's people. Lord, let your priests, let your priests, let your pastors, let your teachers, your workers, all of those who emphasize the Word of God, let them be clothed in righteousness. One of David's sons, he says later in Psalm 132, shall reign on the throne. And of course, we know that was our Lord Jesus Christ. And later in that same psalm, it says, Her priests, I, God, will clothe with salvation. I think the greatest example in my mind, if I can use a biblical illustration, and that is how holiness befitted a house. Remember the prodigal son? We've all known him. Maybe we've had one. You remember how that prodigal son came to his father and said, give me the goods, give me my portion, give me my inheritance. And the father complied. And he went away, and the Bible tells us he squandered all his living. He squandered it with recklessness. The elder brother must have had some sort of a record about him because he said he wasted his money with prostitutes. And when God brought him to the lowest point in his life, when he was there sitting in the slop and eating the slop of the pigs, and he had nothing, the Bible says he came to himself. And he thought, how many hired servants of my father have bread enough to spare, yet I'm perishing with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against earth. I'm not worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired servants. And to me, the most one of the most pathos filled passages in the Bible is in Luke fifteen, when we read as he gets up, he arises and he starts the journey home. I think of that verse where it tells us in Second Chronicles 7.14, if my people which are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. The prodigal son did every one of those things. And as he's coming back, the Bible says that father sees him in the distance. And the father doesn't just look at him, but he starts to running and he runs to him. The Bible says, he, uh, as the son was coming, he started to say to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And at that point, the father puts his arm around him. Maybe he's thinking of that verse where it tells us in Scripture, Worthy is the lamb who was slain. Thou art worthy. God is worthy. Who's the one that makes us worthy? Who's the one that clothes us with holiness 
and fits us to be there worshiping in God's house? Who completes us with the privilege? And that is none other than our Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you remember what the Father said? What's the first word out of his mouth? Bring the best robe and put it on him. Cover him in all his slop and stink and filth and lack of clothing and the wasting away of his life and possibly disease. The Father comes along and says, put the best robe on him. Put a ring on his finger and let's rejoice and let's have a great fellowship. Let's really party. Wow! What a pathetic picture to some. In fact, there were those in that chapter, Luke tells us that when the Lord gives this illustration, there were tax collectors and sinners that were coming to him. And the the scribes and the Pharisees were grumbling, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Huh? (laughs) Or duh? Or hello? Isn't that what Christ does to us? He hugs us. He puts on a robe of righteousness, not like such, but the robe of His precious blood. By His precious blood, He washed our sins. He Himself bore our sins in His own body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Bring the best robe and cover in holiness that sin that was so apparent. I don't know about you, but I time and again come back to the Lord asking His precious blood to cover my sins. Asking the imagery of the robe that He would put on me. And I have to ask you, when Jesus said to this crowd, there was a man who had two sons, He had seen this all from the very beginning. He saw Cain and Abel. He saw Hophni and Phinehas. He saw everyone because of his wisdom, omniscience, omnipresence that is stuck in sin and smells like it. You know, we read, I read, I should say, uh, from Greg Beale, who's a professor at Westminster Seminary, This quote from his biblical theology, you do not have to be of the bloodline of Abraham to be his true child, nor do you have to move to Israel to become an Israelite. You merely have to move to Jesus, true Israel, and embrace him. This applies to the temple. Jesus is the temple in the true family of God. And in wonderful words, Calvin and his institutes quotes this wonderful thing, but before I quote his definition on justification, I must tell you a story of a friend of mine from college and seminary. His name is Bob Carver. Bob grew up in Collingswood, New Jersey. Wonderful man. We played soccer together, went to schools together. He ended up being a professor at Clearwater Christian College in Florida for all of his career. Some years ago, Bob wrote a calligraphy piece. He has a a deft hand. He wrote a calligraphy piece to give to somebody. And the piece that he wrote was Latin 
one of Martin Luther's favorite expressions, simul justus et peccator, simul justus et peccator, which is uh, simply translated simultaneously just and a sinner. Just and a sinner. Now, he wrote that to give it to somebody I think you know fairly well or are aware of. Because back in the uh, 2004, I believe it was, Bob was invited to participate in the ordination of one of his previous students. The man's name is Burke Parsons. Burke Parsons is a pastor in Florida and a member of the PCA. So Bob was invited to come to the uh, ceremony, the uh, ordination at St. Andrew's Chapel. But uh, when he got there, he found out that uh, everybody that was on the uh, ordination council had to have a robe, and Bob did not have a robe. One of the four other men on that council was Dr. R.C. Sproul. And it happened that R.C., because he's a senior, had two robes. So my friend Bob, you know R.C., he said, why, come here, I have a robe. You can put it on and participate in this ordination committee along with me. And so they were, and so they gathered together. And uh, uh, there was no one quite like uh, R.C., And as a result of that encounter, my friend Bob wrote that calligraphy, simultaneously just and at the same time a sinner. In fact, he put it on his office, uh, side on his office, so he could refer to it and look at it from time to time. My friend Bob, just several months ago, sadly received the news as we have that R.C. went home to be with the Lord. And my friend Bob said he reflected back on that ordination council as a participant in ordaining someone to the gospel ministry. And Bob said, I I was brought to tears when I thought back on that. And the honor I had to wear the robe of Dr. R.C. Sproul and participate in bringing another person into the installation and ordination of God's church and kingdom. What a privilege, brothers and sisters, when Jesus robed us and robed us in righteousness. Are you feeling the effect of that? You feel the honor and privilege of every day being accounted by Christ as perfect and wonderfully forgiven and living for Jesus. In fact, Paul wrote in Romans chapter 13, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. Put on the Lord every day. What a privilege. Uh, Just yesterday, in the mail, I got a letter from heaven. Now, don't look too curious, Bob. (laughs) But I did get a letter from someone 
in heaven. It was from Dr. R.C. Sproul. I'd like to read three paragraphs to you. Dr. Sproul writes and wrote to me yesterday, More than a few years ago, a Ligonier board member said to me, R.C., we need to prepare a plan for the ministry after you die. I said to him, I have no intention of dying. I simply plan to have a change of address. (laughs) If you're reading this letter, it means that my address has changed. My new address is permanent. In fact, it is eternal. Since moving here, I have experienced what I believed for decades, that Jesus always spoke the truth. That verse we read tonight, verse 5, his decrees are trustworthy. In fact, R.C. went on to say, the Apostle Paul taught that my new abode is far better than my last one, and indeed is gain. Even now, my vocabulary is too impoverished to describe the glory of my present estate. It is joy unspeakable, far beyond earthly imaginations. Not only do I enjoy the blessed presence of Jesus, but I am surrounded by the saints who were here before me, the vast multitude of them enjoy a far greater reward than I. But I've noticed that here no one is jealous of anyone else's status. Here there is no envy, jealousy, or covetousness. In fact, there is no sin at all. The last verse of our text tonight says forevermore forevermore that is our blessed hope Christ enrolls us and enrobes us in righteousness forever and ever and ever hallelujah let us pray father thank you for Jesus strengthen us each day for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against evils, the darkness of men. And yet you are strong, mightier than anything that can come our way. Remind us afresh too, Lord, even as my friend was honored to wear Dr. Sproul's robe, help us to be more and more every day honored to bear the name of Christ in our hearts and to have his protective robe of righteousness pleading for us, even as our senior pastor, Dr. Rogers, spoke this morning, showing salt in our lives to prevent putridness, and at the same time, light to reflect the glories of Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.